and welcome back to the FPL Lounge podcast. We are back with the third instalment of our FPL Lounge long weekend. This time we're previewing those all-important midfielders from your premiums to your budgets. My name is Chris Hopkins and I'm joined by the uh, England's half of the Women's World Cup draw to my USA's half of the Women's World Cup draw. It's Andy Case. Uh, a bit of a clunky one, Andy, but um, what a draw England have ended up with. This is the best chance for, in my view anyway, for England to make a, a major tournament final since the men's opportunity in 2018, the way that all of the big hitters are, are getting knocked out. And, you know, obviously you can't write off these underdogs, but it's a huge opportunity for England. And, yeah, all the big guns that are left are in that other half of the draw with the Americans and the Swedes and, and all the rest. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it's looking good. You could make an argument that France are certainly a big gun but uh, haven't been in great form recently um, and they're in our half the draw. But yeah, it, it, in, when you get to a World Cup to, to, to have the, the amount of teams kind of and they're kind of with the rankings that they have in, in our half of the draw is, is, is not something to complain about at all. Obviously, I think I've read that like four of the biggest five upsets in women's World Cup history have happened in this in terms of like, you know, the odds have happened in this World Cup now. Um, so you can't write these teams off necessarily completely, but you know, if you're England, would you rather be playing Colombia in a potential quarterfinal than Germany? Of course, of course you would. So, uh, yeah, massive, massive opportunity. And with USA also stumbling and having to potentially play, well, definitely playing, is it Sweden they've got in there? Not looked at the brackets, to be honest, probably should have done before we, uh... then they'd potentially play Japan. I think that was... Yeah, they've got Sweden in the next round. Uh, and then it is, yeah, Japan or Norway. So, you know, two pretty good teams. Yeah, so on, on current form would be Japan. I mean, to, they're going to have to play a lot better than they have been to get through that route to a semi-final against them, potentially someone like Spain. So, very difficult route for USA to get to the final. And if England end up playing someone who isn't USA, they're not going to go in with the same psychological barrier that they have had in the, in the, in the past. And it's, it, yeah, it's a big, big chance. Great stuff. Great stuff all around. Have you been watching much of it? You've been enjoying it? Yeah. As a bits, as one of all of the, all of the England stuff, uh, all the England games and then bits and pieces of the other ones. Yeah. 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 I think it's been, uh, it's been, been a good tournament coverage has been good. So yeah, I've been fully enjoying it, especially the week that I've been, uh, week I've been off work. It's been, Nice to have my breakfast to, to, to some football. It's uh, great stuff, great stuff all round. But let's get back down to you know the real business, Andy, of fantasy sports when it comes to football. That's the real thing. If there was a fantasy women's World Cup, I'm sure we would have done a bit of that. Maybe not a pod, the whole podcast on it, but uh, but yeah, you know, fantasy fantasy sports is where it's at, and we are previewing. The midfielders in FPL uh, in this episode of the FPL Lounge Long Weekend. As always on our Long Weekend episodes, we break the whole position down into three categories. Our premiums from 9 million all the way up to 12 and a half. Then our middle ground midfielders from 6.5 to 8.5 million. And then our budget midfielders from 4.5 up to 6. Let's start then, Andy, with those uh, all-important premium midfielders. And there are a number of them in the game, similar to premium defenders, but we're not really going to be concentrating on all that many of them. In fact, I guess, Andy, in our 9 million plus category, there are only four midfielders priced uh, at that level this year. They are Mo Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, Marcus Rashford and Son. I'm not sure how many of those might even end up in either of our game week one teams, to be honest. But 
we better go through them all because of their importance to the game. Let's start with Mo Salah. Twelve and a half million pounds. Uh, is that was that that's the same as last year, right? Am I no? It's the price drop from last year. I think he started at thirteen. Did he, did last he start year? at thirteen? Yeah, he might have done. I think he started at thirteen last year. So a price uh, a price drop. Um, it got two hundred and thirty nine FPL points last year, which isn't um, isn't perhaps as high as some of his seasons, uh, but still um, scored a lot of goals in in all competitions for for, for, for Liverpool. Um, he's two million pounds more expensive than the next highest price midfielder in De Bruyne. Um, so it feels like he's a bit like Trent in the defensive category in the sense that, you know, he had a bit of a down season, um, but still very, very pricey. So puts you off getting him in, but equally if he goes off very, very hard to then get him into your team and you're going to have to do a fair bit of surgery to get him in. So is it worth just, just going for him at the start of the start of the season? Yeah. I mean, Still 32 goal involvements last season, right? And I think that is a key difference for me between him and Trent in that his his productivity over the season still was kind of there, despite it undoubtedly being a down year for Liverpool generally. So um, arguably 32 goal involvements and 239 points is worth 12-ish million, 12 and a half million in the game. I mean, there's there's potentially better value out there, but like the guarantee that he brings is, is kind of what you, what you end up paying for. So um, like, I, I think, yeah, the uh, given, you know, spoiler alert, we haven't got to our forwards podcast yet, but there's a guy called Erling Haaland who might be quite popular. So given you're going to have to outlay on him, um, then basically the formula is, is that you, it is just not, it almost breaks your structure by having one of Trent or Salah. So to have them both with Haaland is, is almost impossible without really seriously compromising the rest of your squad. So it, that it is kind of looking like it's coming down to a straight shootout between the two. And for me, yeah, there, there is a little bit more guarantee with, with Salah as shown from last season and previous ones. Now, I think there's some chat that he's looks like he's been playing wider in, and there was this at the start of last season as well, didn't we? A little there bit. was a bit of similar talk like this last year. I don't know whether it's like the bringing a Trent into midfield and having more midfielders in the middle means he gets pushed out wider or or something. But look, I mean, just like you say, despite all that chat, he he was still contributing and he will still be on penalties this season. So um, there's going to be uncertainty around the other Liverpool forward starting positions. And I think have, if we had a bit more certainty around them, you could start to formulate an argument for me that maybe you could use the money elsewhere if you could guarantee on another Liverpool forward playing, right? But within the absence of that, he's by far the biggest guarantee in that Liverpool front three at the moment. And so if you can make it work with still having a reasonable squad elsewhere, um, yeah, I think I, I, I is by far the best premium midfield option for me. Yeah, I think that makes, makes sense for me. I think... Um... Yeah, it's all going to be about whether I can end up affording him or if there's, you know, if you can spread your money around better elsewhere ultimately. But yeah, I can see there being those that do go without him. I can see there being a bit of a clamour for him at some point in 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 the season. It's going to be quite hard to to get to him. There aren't very more. Well, there aren't any really straight swaps among midfielders for for Salah. So yeah, it could be difficult if you do go without and he. And he starts very strongly. Um, he's only 24% owned at this stage of, of, of kind of FPL drafts, Andy, which I guess 
would have been a lot higher a, a few seasons back. So, you know, clearly some are making or lots are making a decision to go go without. Um, so, so yeah, and as you say, compared to this time last season, uh, Erling Haaland is significantly more expensive. So, you know, if you to own both, um, you know, you have to make decisions elsewhere. And then if you are adding Trent into that, that mix as well, it, it does get very tricky. Um, let's move down to Kevin De Bruyne around. He's not a player that we're particularly keen on at the start of this year. Ten and a half million pounds hasn't really been fit in pre-season. But even then, similar, I guess, in some ways to Salah, he is more guaranteed minutes when he's fit than some most City midfielders, you would think. But at the same time, probably not. He doesn't provide the same level of certainty that um, that Salah does uh, compared to his teammates. And I guess you, there are other better value picks among City midfielders, some of which I'm sure we'll come on to a bit later. Yeah, and I think there's someone else who plays a similar position who had relatively similar underlying numbers to him this season, who's a couple of mil cheaper. So it, um, it, it makes it difficult. Yeah, I, I can see him when people realise, those who have got him, the 11.1% of managers who do have him in their squad at the moment realise that he's not starting um, at the start of the season, he might well get a few transfers out leading to price drops, right? And if he starts to go down to 10.3, 10.2, and then gets fit and starts coming back in the squad, I can see a point where he would become an attractive option then, because obviously he always gets forward for City, and he is, like you say, more nailed for for minutes. But yeah, certainly at the start of the season, where there's any kind of questions over his match fitness, then um, it doesn't really seem the route to go. Well, as we've mentioned, particularly when when money is is... Uh, at a premium ever more so in this year yeah yeah absolutely uh, and then two nine million pound uh players andy marcus rashford and human son um rashford i guess a uh, very great fpl season last year and, and I, what's his price increase two million two and a half million is it it's pretty two and a half yeah. pretty extensive so up to nine million pounds and, and we're going to come on to come on to him but there are teammates of his that do make perhaps better value appeal Son has had a three million pound price drop, and that's a lot. I'm probably warranted, Andy, given his you know drastic underperformance last year compared to uh, compared to the season before. Um, I guess our inclusion for him on our something of a shortlist is perhaps us hoping and I guess expecting to some extent a bit of a bounce back for Son to make him actually at nine million pounds potentially a really good value player. Add in the fact that there is a chance that Harry Kane could leave and Son could be even more advanced, um, does perhaps increase his uh, increase his potential. Having said that, obviously his and Kane's partnership has has been um, has been off off lauded. So so yeah, I guess if Kane was to the party, it could have an adverse effect on Son. But ultimately, a bit of a bounce back for a player that's had a three million pound price drop could present some value. Whether you're going to go with with him on game week one or not. I guess you want to see a bit more from Spurs before you part with nine million pounds. Yeah, obviously, never mind the fact that the Kane situation is yet to be resolved. The the they've got a new manager, and can he improve them? What's their system and style going to be like in practice? You know, so yeah, lots of questions there. But I can definitely see a situation where nine mil is worth it. Like he got he cracked two hundred points in each of his two previous seasons before last year. There's a case that at the 150, 160 points he got last year is also not awful for nine mil either like particularly if he gets a run of like easier fixtures so and of of course i mean obviously this is like 
uh, as our friends around the NFL would say, trope alert territory big time. But supposedly he was injured for a large majority of last season. He only got the surgery on the thing that was causing him a problem at the end of the season. So, um, I mean, he says he didn't want it to come out in the media because he didn't want it to be an excuse. And that, But now that it's out, he's being open about it or whatever. So how much you can believe that, I, I don't know. But because it's all very convenient now, isn't it? But he seems like a good lad, Sonny. So we'll we'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. And um, yeah, so if, if, if that does mean he is fully fit now and but it has the potential to be back to his, his form previously, well, he's had around 30 plus goal involvements. In, in those two years where he cracked the 200 points, obviously. So, um, and the, the nine mil for that would, would be unbelievable value. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure actually off the top of my head on Spurs is, um, fixtures at the size of what they're like. They're not, they're not awful. Kind of, kind of okay. I mean, in their Nicks. first five, they've got Sheffield United and Burnley and Bournemouth, which isn't too bad. Um, followed by Arsenal and Liverpool. And they've got United, I think, in their first four as well so kind of middling really I guess their first day not not too bad not hampered by Europe which could help maybe this year um always worth always worth mentioning but but yeah I guess um my kind of prediction for Spurs is that they're going to start the season terribly and it'll all come it'll all be okay in the end but I can see Spurs fans calling for for, for Angie's head pretty early doors um and I kind of think that he will end up staying the course and making things okay um, but yeah, that's kind of my prediction for Spurs, based on absolutely nothing bar a hunch. But you know, worth uh, worth leaning into some of those sometimes. Um, let's move on, Andy, then to our mid-priced uh, bracket. Our our midfielders from uh, six and a half million up to eight and a half million pounds, and we've got two at eight and a half million that we think are worth mentioning. Let's get Bruno Fernandez out of the way, Andy, because we've alluded to him I think twice already. You mentioned uh, a player with similar underlying numbers to Kevin De Bruyne. I think you were referring to Bruno Fernandez and not Martin Odegaard. Then, yeah, I thought so. Um, so, so yeah, I mean Bruno. Bruno's price instantly stood out, I think, because Rashford, he was cheaper than Rashford. And if United signed a striker, uh, his assists numbers could be considerably better than, than last year. Obviously, United have signed a striker, have almost signed a striker. And- well, by reports, he has signed. He has uh, signed. Just it hasn't been announced yet. Like medicals right. done, contracts signed. So that means signed, I think. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just not but, but but not the, not the announcement yet. So so yeah, I mean, if if, if Hoyland turns into what he uh, what he has the potential to, then yeah, potentially a lot more a lot more assists for Bruno. Um, and yeah, the fact that he's half a million cheaper than Rashford, I think I would favour Bruno uh, comparing the two. Um, I guess some concerns, Andy, that he would might play a little bit deeper considering Mason Mason Mount signs. But I mean, you're the resident Man United fan. Tell me what you think. Well, I suppose what I think is relevant and it'd be down to what Ten Hag thinks, but we don't know that yet. There is some chat that he might do that at points and allow Mount to go forward a bit more. But I, I mean, it, I, I can see absolute Ten Hag that when we signed Mount, Ten the, the, the stories coming out was that Ten Hag had given him this three, apparently Liverpool and Arsenal were both after him as well. And the, what sold him on United was a very specific, detailed, technical, tactical presentation essentially more probably more so conversation I'm not thinking it was a PowerPoint um, off of Ten Hag um, describing to Mount how he was going to improve him and how specifically he was going to use him in the team to give the team success right and it was that 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 impressed Mount and made him sign and I could see Ten Hag that that being thinking about Mount as a scuttler as an eight as 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 a defensive you know forward 
pressing from the front type guy, which might well mean he recovers the ball in, in fairly fair fast forward positions. And so Bruno decides to kind of offset that by being a bit deeper, but I can't see it being a, a deliberate, like proactive decision to play Bruno more in the Ericsson role, for example, of last season. You, you, you want last year, a lot of our play was around getting Bruno on the ball in creative positions as much as possible. And I don't see why you'd deviate from that. I mean, particularly, I mean, well, you could read this either way, but obviously he's now the club captain. And so does that mean he gets first shout at wanting all the creative play or is he going to take more responsibility and be the deeper one, allow Mount to go forward a bit? I, I don't know. But everything we've seen out of Bruno Fernandes is you get the best out of him and he's a kind of pseudo number 10, right, um, in, in Man United colours. So I don't, just don't see why you'd, why you'd want to change that. I mean, look at his underlying numbers last season. They were up there with if like you say if we'd had a striker um with the third worst xg under performance of any team in the league last year bruno bruno would have likely cracked 200 and and, and been not 8.5 million this season yeah absolutely he ranked second among midfielders to, to kdb for expected assists so so yeah that said that says it all really um but obviously didn't end up with, with quite as many assists as perhaps he, he could have done um also potentially on penalties andy i guess there's debate about whether it's him or rashford but if it ends up uh, as bruno you're t- saying telling me man united's penalty taker is 8.5 million i'm i'm very 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 keen on that indeed um, okay. another go on sorry. i was gonna say i guess we've got a danger here in the, in our strategy podcast we talked about being template early on, playing it safe and not going Rashford. We, I mean, we didn't really talk too much about Rashford in our premiums and not go, he is 42.2% owned at the moment. I was very surprised to see how high owned he was. I think, um, you know, that he is, it's unlikely he's going to have as good a season as he did last year. Not even necessarily a slight on him that, but just if we have an actual striker, that'll take a lot of the opportunities away. And, you just can't sustain the level that he was at last year. Or it's unlikely that you, that you that any individual can sustain that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% like seeing uh, necessarily that 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 he's a given at nine mil. But we've got Wolves in the first game of the season. He's gonna he's gonna be nailed on to start if he does well in that. I mean, his price could go up even without doing well in that. Frankly, with the level of ownership he's got, but. If if yeah, I mean it, it could be one where if you don't have him at the start, you you you've missed that bandwagon, right? So that's just a danger there. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I mean, let's go from the second uh, second most owned midfielder at the minute to the most, uh, who also potentially like Bruno and I guess Rashford is on penalties, and that's Bukayo Saka. Um, I guess him in the. Arsenal midfield category of uh, of Odegaard also at eight and a half, and then Martinelli at eight. I'm guessing, Andy, it's kind of what we see from Saka on the eye, plus penalties, plus maybe expecting a bit of a regression from um, from Odegaard, and then also minutes risk for Martinelli alongside Trossard um, that maybe makes Saka the absolute standout. And you know, he is he is the star boy after all. So yeah, eight and a half million pound for again a penalty taker in. Well, uh, in the team that finished second last year, there's not a lot to dislike really about it. But also, his expected minutes is very high, and we're perhaps expecting slightly less things, less things from Martinelli and uh, and Odegaard this season. Yeah, I mean, for me, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts, but obviously, because I know you're higher on him than me. For me, like Odegaard was always an overperformance last season, and he's also got Kai Havertz next to him this season to to, to take some of those attacking positions, I guess, away from him. So I, I've got concern there, but. 
the the thing that him and Martinelli had over Saka was a significantly lower price point, right? I think did Odegaard start at five point five and Martinelli six to Saka's right, eight yeah. last season. That's right. Whereas this year they're all pretty much the same. Odegaard's eight point five, unlike unfathomably Martinelli's less at eight. Um, and so Saka brought more like guarantee of starts and attacking, being in attacking positions, I suppose. Um, so if they're all pretty much the same price, obviously, you know, Martinelli is very attacking and and gets in good positions and gets plenty of returns when he's on the pitch. So um, I don't hate him as a shout. And even more so now that Gabriel Jesus is injured and, and, and he could well play through the middle, even Gabriel Martinelli. But but Saka, like you say, is on pens. Um, is I'll, I'll take set pieces uh, is, is, is probably the most, like, I guess you'd say, most trustworthy to be consistent in mm. producing output of all those Arsenal attacking options. So um, he, 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 he just went, yeah, at the, at the, at, if they're an equivalent price point, then he seems like the one to go for, right? Absolutely. Uh, let's take a, a bit of a dive then, Andy, from eight and a half million all the way down to six and a half million. And we've picked out four players that we're going to at least go into some depth on here. Uh, I'm going to start with Caro Matoma, Andy. He doesn't really need much introduction to anyone that played FPL last year. Um, obviously, there's a lot said about Brighton, a lot of hope and hype about how good they can be this year. Caro Matoma, if he has a similar season so to last year, six and a half million pounds still feels like a bit of a bit of a bargain. I mean, I guess in some respects he was a bit streaky last year. He went on a very, very hot streak and then a particularly cold one towards the end of the season. But it was the underlying numbers, him still getting good positions and then on the eye, him still looking really dangerous that kind of makes him very appealing. We do see a lot of rotation among Brighton attacking midfielders. Um, I guess Simon Adingra has been added into that mix this year and obviously then more minutes for Buonanotte and Vrincizo. And, and but Matoma did feel at times last year like the most nailed. Um, obviously, they've got Europe to deal with too this year, but he's going to be a very popular pick for game week one. Um, and I can totally see why, frankly. Well, yeah, uh, obviously had Decent underlying numbers, look very good on the eye. Brighton, very creative team. 6.5 isn't that much money. I mean, there's a lot of complaints lamenting the number of 6.5 million midfielders and the, and the, in some people's eyes, cheapness of many of these good attacking midfield options. But I think it's not... I think the fact that it, people are struggling to choose which ones to put in shows that it isn't an absolute like walk in the park or a given. And I think it's a, it's a reasonable sort of price for him uh, really, yeah. I mean, ultimately, 138 points last year. Yes, there was injuries, and yes, he didn't play a large chunk of the first part under, under Potter. But like, um, with the, if anything, we saw even more rotation under De Zerbi, and um, he's more his ex mins expected minutes is probably the highest of those Brighton attacking options, which is probably one of the reasons why he's the one we're talking about here. But um, he's by no means guaranteed to play in every game, and. Um, so does it matter at that at that price point well possibly not no and i guess, I guess it depends where you some spend. of the others that we're going to talk about i guess maybe it does yeah but then obviously bryson are very very creative so when he is on the pitch he probably has more of an upside than some of those other ones so it's it's a tricky one you're you're, you're balancing off and they do start with luton wolves west ham as the first three fixtures brighton so 
you know, it's a pretty nice start too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on then to a player that doesn't have such a great start. And I think, as Andy said earlier, we're going to be mentioned, or maybe perhaps on a previous podcast, in fact, um, we're going to mention this about any Aston Villa asset. But Moussa Diaby uh, at 6.5 million, I think yeah, he's a signing that's definitely caught the eye, Andy, ultimately. And this is a player who, yeah, he's listed as a midfielder, but really operates more as like a wide forward, I guess, positionally Salah-esque. Um and has big team, big league pedigree. Uh, you know, he's come from Bayer Leverkusen, where he scored, I think, a fair chunk of goals. He's already looked pretty good and and, and finished well in preseason for Villa. Um, this is the guy that has really, really high upside and could look like a bit of a bargain, I think. Um, but Villa don't start the season particularly well. But a player that, that could be this explosive might just be worth having him anyway. Really, really like Musa Diaby as an FPL option this season. Intrigued to see. I mean, he you can't read everything into preseason. This time last year, Leon Bailey looked like a world beater for Aston Villa in preseason, right? But this is another level we're talking about with Diaby, and he keeps starting and scoring. Um, he for in preseason for Villa, like you said, he's got pedigree, a, a good like European club. Uh, it is. I just he could he could. You could see him getting 12, 15 more Premier League goals this season at five points a goal being a midfielder at 6.5 mil. And and Villa obviously looking great towards the end of the season under Emery last year. It just all a lot of a lot of positive signs. He's a nailed on starter in that team. Um, Yeah, everything's good. He's giving me the vibes of like. You know when the Arsenal forwards were all getting goals in pre-season last year and we kind mm. of questioned, well, it's Arsenal, it's pre-season, can they carry it forward into the into the actual season? And, and then they all did. And I don't see any reason why Diaby can't do that either. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's quite a nice nice comparison. Yeah, I mean he's hit uh, 17 and 14 goals in all competitions in his last two years. Got 10 before that as well. And this is you know for a pretty good pretty good uh, pretty good Bundesliga side. So yeah, definitely uh, plenty of upside for him. Um, and now yeah, I'm kind of questioning which of these ones I like more because I'm pretty bullish on Brian and Buemo uh, at six and a half million, likely to be playing up front with Ivan Tony's. Um, suspension uh, and has got really, really good FPL returns. Maybe not FPL underlying numbers, but very, very good FPL returns when Tony hasn't played for, for, for Brentford before. Um, so it's like six and a half million. Yeah, I kind of feel like this is uh, this is one of the more obvious picks for me. Um, but then does he have the upside that Musa Diaby has? Probably not. Does he have the upside that Karen Matoma has? Maybe not, but out of position appeals massively, and and those you know those 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 pure returns when Tony's not been around, um, are, are kind of too difficult for me to ignore. But I can feel him maybe not returning in the first three, and people starting to get very frustrated with him, Andy, and that feels like possibly possibly the the Brian and Buemo story a little bit. I mean, you can see a route where that happens, yes, but also you can see a route where he's part of that template that's difficult to get on if you don't have him um, earlier on. I mean, obviously he's not expensive, so you could downgrade, but you might well struggle to move from another 6.5 to him because he, he could well get a rise if he does well. And and when you add into the fact that there are, he is going to be on penalties, 
there's not going to be many cheaper penalty takers in the game than him. And Brentford's start isn't too bad either. It's uh, I think we mentioned this with with Rico Henry in a previous podcast, possibly. But Spurs at home on the first day, they won't be quaking in their boots at, at that one, I wouldn't have thought. And then Fulham, Palace, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Everton, Forest for Brentford. So, you know, Bueno is going to be starting up front in all of those games that you take your chances, I think, don't you? You can you can see a few returns potentially for him there. You absolutely can. Uh, let's then have one final six and a half million pound pick, Andy. And this one is a little bit more left field, a bit more of a differential one uh, for, for us, I guess. But Bernardo Silva at six and a half million compared to some of his city teammates seems a little underpriced. And perhaps it isn't when you look into the numbers. But I guess for us, this is... This is kind of based on the fact that Riyad Mahrez has left and is unlikely to be replaced. That increases Bernardo's expected minutes, where in the Premier League, at least before, he hasn't always played um, week in, week out, and, and, and often is, is kind of maybe being subbed first for Mahrez, perhaps, when he has started. I mean, obviously, there is potential for you know a Cole Palmer or a James McAtee to, to be the next one up, but... It feels like that's a bit of a downgrade from from a Riyad Mahrez, at least. And Bernardo Silva has got goals and assists in all competitions before, just lacks them in the Premier League compared to some teammates, um, but is also generally a bit cheaper than your Phil Foden's and your Jack Grealish's. So I can see why there's potential for a bit of a flyer on him. And he does have FPL sort of previous before, Andy. He was popular, was it, two or three seasons ago? So it's one that I'm keeping an eye on if not maybe gonna get in my team for game week one well in previous years he where he did well it was when he slotted in for gundo in that position where gundo was arriving late in the box and scoring and and, and Bernardo silva did that uh, in place of him a few times here exactly like you say we're, we're looking he towards the end of last season he was the first choice starting right winger for sitting he looks like although there's a lot of chat a bit about him leaving now that Mares has gone, it seems like he's he's going to be the one to stay and he's going to be first choice there, which compared to some of his teammates, when Kevin De Bruyne comes back, De Bruyne is likely to take one of those central attacking positions um, and Bernardo would, 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 would feasibly stay there. So, um, yeah, I think I think this is this is largely an expected minutes pick really here. His output at Germany's underlying numbers are lower than like an Alvarez or a Foden or a De Bruyne obviously when they're in the team but um yeah ultimately he's cheaper than 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 at least Foden and, and Grealish and obviously De Bruyne and um so if he's if he's we, we kind of have always said if you can pick out a any kind of nailed on starter or reasonably high expected minutes player who's going to play one of those forward positions for Man City, then you've got to be thinking about them and even more so if they're 6.5 million. Yeah, I think that's completely completely correct. Um, obviously we're, Andy, the, you know, this is a big price category and we've missed out a lot of players there. Is there anyone else that perhaps we haven't mentioned that we're kind of putting into like the wait and, or at least your personal kind of like wait and see category? Like you think they have maybe real upside but you just kind of want to see evidence of it before you're getting them into your team? Yeah, evidence, and also for some that it, it's it's a kind of fixtures turn thing as well. But but I mean, there's there's a number I think in this category this season who who have the potential to to be in and around our teams at points. Obviously, we mentioned uh, Phil Foden in that City kind of rotation that he didn't get the minutes last season that people probably hoped he would. But um, you know, at some point, Pep is going to either have to kind of 
be looking to fish him around and sell him potentially or give him more responsibility and more minutes more regularly in the in the team because his talent is too high to be kind of stewing around just playing half the minutes for City really so um yeah I, I think there's and particularly with De Bruyne obviously um not match fit there's, there's a strong chance of Foden getting um some reasonable minutes in these in these opening games for City which as we've mentioned before is is a good run so def got my eye on Phil Foden in previous years, we've been very, very high on him, right? And so at 7.5 mil, the sky's the limit for his points returns. Similarly goes for Luis Diaz, I think also 7.5 mil. He's been another FPL lounge favourite in previous years, had quite a bad injury last year. But um, the January when he came in was really, really good in the back half of that season. So there's some suspicion that he might well be a starter, but we there's been a lot of rotation between him, Jota, Gakpo and Nunes. And I wouldn't like to, at this point, be 100% set on where I'd have to put my money in that Liverpool. It's it's four for two, isn't it? Because Salah's playing in one of those front three positions. So, yeah, um, but but if, <clears throat> if it becomes clear that he is a starter, I think there's there's him playing in like that Mane role at 7.5 mil is, is potentially ridiculous. Um, and <clears throat> Madison also at 7.5 million is a little bit more of an outside shout, but um, I think we'll be playing possibly even more advanced for Tottenham than he was for Leicester and with better players in front of him to finish the chances he creates, right? So very, very advanced number 10. And if Tottenham can get their act together and he's feeding Kulusevski, Son and Kane, then there's potential there for him as well, I think. Yeah, I like that. And also, I guess, his, his former Leicester teammate, Harvey Barnes. I kind of want to see how he slots into Newcastle's team. But I think he has, compared to some of some of Newcastle's other midfield options here, you know, your Amarons and your, and your Anthony Gordons, I think Barnes kind of stands out for me um, as a potential option at six and a half. And then I guess it's worth mentioning Mudrick. He has looked at times absolutely electric in pre-season. Um, doesn't mean he can necessarily convert that to the Premier League, but you know he he he, helped, he had the January move from what was essentially a, a what still is essentially a war-torn country, although obviously he wasn't living in 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 Ukraine at the time. You can see adapting to the Premier League can take time, and I think Poch could be maybe the sort of player or manager that can get the best out of him. So a bit of a wait and see for all of these players, but um, you know could they be better options than Brian and Buemo or? Carry Matoma at some point this year and similarly priced yes absolutely and I think it's worth keeping an eye an eye on all of them um and yeah but also be ready to I guess interchange between them all at some points probably going to be a lot of a lot of transfers within this category Andy at various points for for fixture runs and things like that yeah I can I can definitely see that and it's a it's, it's an interesting price point one which when we again when we spoke about strategy uh in the previous pod I think having at least one if not more than one slot where you're able to like float between these options during the season it is is going to be key yeah 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 uh, let's leave it there let's take a quick break but then we, when we return we will be trying to fill your final midfield spots with some budget midfielders here at the fpl lounge we are keen to hear from you you can join in the conversation on twitter or instagram at fpl underscore lounge we will preview every game week throughout the season exploring options for your chips and transfers Subscribe to the show wherever you get your pods so that you have all the information you need before the game week deadline. Thanks for joining us in the FPL Lounge. 
Welcome back then. So, Andy, budget midfielders priced from four and a half million all the way up to six. Um, always a number of players really in this category. I guess we're always looking for that four and a half million pound gem, which perhaps is a little bit lacking this year. But equally, at the top of this price bracket, some of these six million pound options feel quite steep. I guess there are some here that could hit some form but we're kind of waiting to see on on a lot of them and therefore I think we're probably more inclined to go for the five and a half million pound category I mean in the six there's a few that we've listed but I guess not shortlisted in terms of the sort of Buendia could hit some form especially if he starts for for Villa um Ben Rama Morgan Gibbs White is a player that, that I probably like a bit more than you especially if he ends up out of position again um but I don't think any of these are going to feature in my game week one team, particularly when, you know, as we've just said uh, in the first half of the show, for another half a million, you, you can get Mwemo playing up front and Karo Matoma and a player of Musa Diaby's quality. And then at five and a half, there are some potentially some really, really good players that definitely caught the eye last year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Buendia has shown he has ability on the ball and looks like he's going to be starting for, for Villa as it stands at the moment. So, yeah, he's maybe like a shout, but obviously the upside of Diaby, as you said, seems a lot higher. So the half a mil there might might well be worth it. Um, maybe we'd have to be having a bit of a think about Jacob Ramsey also at Villa if he was fit, but he's he's not um, after a good under 21 euros and yeah, him having a good rise in recent years. Um, I wonder if some will be considering McAllister. I mean, he's in 14.4% of squads, so many are. He's six mil. Um, I guess we're thinking that he, we need to see it really in that Liverpool midfield from him. He he had a very good season and he was obviously kind of hyped because of the World Cup and stuff as well. And, and like, will he maintain that? Will he, will he be able to get in the uh, goals and assists when he's got other, you know, obviously emphatic players in front of him for Liverpool I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure this season so uh yeah one or two maybes but but it seems like there's better value elsewhere in this category yeah absolutely I think there are, are as many question marks about some of our five and five and a half million pound midfielders that we are going to discuss and let's start I guess Andy with with Brighton the player that um definitely comes to the fore at the back end of last year in 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 CISO. Um, five and a half million pounds he's listed at. And I guess there's always going to be question marks about starters with Brighton and about the rotation that the Zerbi seems to really enjoy. Karen Matoma, you know, we spoke about um, in the first half of the pod, has that. But Nciso was, it, it felt at least, Andy, I'm not sure in terms of his actual minutes, but it felt like he was almost as popular among or with Deserby towards the end of last year um, than some of the big hitters like like Matoma and, and McAllister. And he's a million cheaper than in season, uh, sorry, a million cheaper than, than Matoma. Um, he maybe wasn't getting loads of underlying numbers. And I think what maybe hurt his fantasy prospects last year is that he was listed as a forward, now listed as a midfielder, um, but has scored some outrageously spectacular goals and, and, and looks very good on the eye. He could be an interesting, perhaps, alternative to Matoma. Maybe if you are spending a little bit more money on, you know, say, your salads and, and, and the trends of the world. I mean, if, if you told me Enciso's like a starter for Brighton, um, um, he's probably almost definitely in my squad. I, ju- I just think at his price, what we saw from, it, from him at the end of, of, of last season, the quality on the ball, goals and assists, potential, but it, it 
it just looks like a big rotation fest, doesn't it? Like, Deserby Roulette's going to be, you know, up there with Pep Roulette, and that's kind of the concern. I mean, I suppose um, it's also a concern for Matoma, but, like, I guess the thinking pre-season, at least right at the moment, is that Matoma's more likely to have more minutes than, than NCZO. But we're going to have to see how it, how it, how it plays out. His... His, I think his ability for that price is very worth it. It's all about expected minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he hasn't played loads in preseason so far, so definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, another one that we obviously liked at the start of last year, he was our four and a half million pound darling, is Andreas Pereira. Had a million pound price rise, Andy. Uh, so five and a half now this season. Um, look like Fulham haven't really strengthened hugely and are likely to be losing Mitrovic. I'm not sure if he's officially gone yet, but I think he's definitely said that he's not going to play for Fulham anymore and seems to be gunning for a move to, to Saudi Arabia. Likely replaced with uh, Raul Jimenez, who could be great or could be not so great as we've uh, experienced to, to, to our sort of detriment in the last couple of years. Um, I, yeah, he is ultimately attacking number 10 in a fairly good Premier League side. So five and a half million pounds should be um, should be pretty reasonable for a player of his ability, but I guess also crucially could end up on penalties uh, if if Mitrovic does go and, and Jimenez doesn't doesn't play that much. Being on penalties would make him more interesting at that price for sure. Um, he whilst we obviously talked up his assist potential last year and I think he was something like third or uh, last season for assists in the league or joint third, which is which is crazy to think. But he um, he did massively overperform his expected assists. And uh, the, it, the uncertainty around Fulham, particularly in the front areas, like makes me feel uncomfortable at the moment. I could see them having a massive drop off this year. Um, there's been uh, Saudi approaches for their manager as well, although he's sort of said he's not going. Um, it all just like all the uncertainty and unsettling kind of on paper when you look at that front line like if, if Mitrovic has gone and now Willian's potentially looking at going and it's not like Willian was like at his best particularly anyway um he was having yeah. a bit of a renaissance at Fulham I mean I can see the, the Willian move maybe helping Pereira because he from a fantasy point of view at least because he'd taken some set pieces off him Mm. Um, but but yeah, I, I kind of what what's what's the phrase? I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but Fulham haven't seemed to have strengthened. If you don't strengthen in this league, you tend to move backwards, don't you? And I guess that's possibly the concern with them. I haven't seen many sort of high-profile signings. Maybe they spent all of their all of their transfer budget uh, last season, which would make sense, and they had a very good finish. But yeah, maybe you're relying on on, on the manager staying and him working some magic again for them to be relatively comfortable in in the Premier League. I mean, I wouldn't ideally want to be going into a Premier League season with, at this stage, unfortunately, Raul Jimenez as my main goal threat and arguably only goal threat. They struggled to, they were having to play like De Cordova, Reed and others through the middle when Mitrovic was injured and suspended at points last season, weren't they? And they don't, there's this, there's that guy, what's his name? Is it Vinicius? Oh, Vinicius, yeah. Yeah, but he hasn't really in any way set the world light as he, and I'm not sure even he is necessarily an out-and-out striker. So um, I, I worry for them for, for goals, and obviously that, that affects Andreas, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to one I guess I like a little bit more than, than Andy and Conor Gallagher at five and a half million. It feels like he's going to be starting for Chelsea, and obviously he's got FPL previous following his loan spell at Crystal Palace, where he you know, got forward a lot and got a lot of goals. Um, not really suggesting that he's going to be quite as advanced in this Chelsea 
double pivot, although I'm reluctant to call it a double pivot because I can see Gallagher definitely bombing on while Enzo Fernandez ends up being a little bit more disciplined. But I guess we just know that Gallagher can get into the box and can score. And if that is even loosely part of Poch's system, I think a five and a half million pounds starting Chelsea player is possibly worth worth a punt. Yeah, that's that is the main thing, isn't it? Is that he would be starting in that Chelsea team that has the potential to kind of improve and do all right under Poch. So, um, yeah, you're going to be a bold a bold FPL manager to go for that from the start of the season. Um, definitely would be a, a, quite the gamble when we haven't seen it yet, but def, but one I could, I could see coming to to fruition during the season. Yeah. Let's move down to our five million category, Andy, and I guess these are. Um... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of wait and sees in here, but all of these, I think, do have the potential to go off at some point this year. We'll group uh, Buonanotte and and the Dingra together at Brighton, five million. So again, a half million pound saving on Enciso. But I guess, I mean, for Buonanotte at least, um, Enciso seems to have the expected minutes upper hand over him, although Buonanotte did get a fair few minutes towards the end of the year. Maybe tended to be shoved a little bit further wide and perhaps didn't look quite as good on the eye. Um, but still only 18, I think, so potent- plenty of potential there. And equally, Adingra spent um, last year on loan uh, in Belgium, similar sort of path at Brighton to, to Caro Matoma, and has looked very, very good in, in pre-season, getting some rave reviews. Scored a, a very good goal, I think, against Brentford in the Premier League series or whatever they do um, in the US, and then got another one against them later on. Five million, if he's given minutes, could end up doing... Well, I do wonder if he's just going to be kind of part of Brighton's European rotation to begin with, at least, rather than getting loads of Premier League minutes. But, I mean, looks electric, high upside if he can get get plenty of starts. Yeah, definitely. And and it's just so hard to pick with them, isn't it? Because they've, they've obviously got Lalana still. They've got they've brought Milner in who can play multiple positions in defence and midfield as well, right, as, as extra kind of legs for their European campaign as well, I guess. So... Working out who plays where and when uh, is just impossible, really, in that Brighton team. But, but it, like, just somehow, whoever comes in seems to look good and do well. So if a Dingra's going to be that guy at any point, then then five mil could be a snip. Absolutely. Um, two wingers, then. One who has left a big team and one that might do, that could... Uh, that yeah, that, that could end up being pretty good if they if he does end up moving on. Anthony Alanga, obviously uh, formerly of and his beloved Man United, uh, got a chance at Nottingham Forest potentially to start. I guess there's no reason why he couldn't end up starting there, Andy. I think you definitely believe he's probably good enough for Forest, if not quite good enough for United. Uh, and Callum Hudson-Odoi still at Chelsea, but rumours that he is going to. Uh, go make the short trip down the road to Fulham possibly uh, would be helped if, if Willian does end up departing um, and, the, and the money rumoured for, for him is, is pretty cheap both at 5 million in FPL uh, Alanga, I guess I'm quite keen to see what Forest look like this year, I can see them making a bit of a step forward, perhaps unlike um, unlike Fulham um, and, and yeah, if Alanga gets starts then he's definitely got some got some potential to be pretty decent for, for his price point I think Hudson-Odoi would be the better one if he can get that move. Um, but we've got to wait and see whether he gets it in the end. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously they've got Gibbs-White and Awanyi in those kind of forward positions, Forrest, that that you'd, Alanga's probably looking to try and occupy. So he needs to perhaps be alongside them. Still got Johnson know. as well, haven't they, I think? At the, oh, at yeah. The 
they have. So, so maybe that's some competition there for him. Um, but I mean, he starts for Sweden sometimes, and he's he's he, he he's looked good when he has you know decent Premier League stand when he has played for Man United and um, has has a Champions League knockout goal away uh, at Atletico Madrid to his name as well. So um, yeah, de- decent decent player. I'd like to see him get a chance. Um, and on, on Hudson Odoi, massively excited about that one. If he gets the move, you've got to hope, think, surely he'd be a starter if he went there. And and we've seen his upside. I mean, he was in England squads a couple of years ago, and I guess injuries and not having a chance in the team is just he's just a huge drop off, isn't he? And it's you know, Bayern were in for him for 60, 70 million a couple of years ago, and now he's looking at an eight million move to to Fulham. It's 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 crazy how fast life comes at you, but um. Yeah, I hope for him he gets a chance and he's able to find his form again. Two deeper-lying £5 million options that could, again, be starting for, I guess, big six, if not top six teams, uh, Andy, Curtis Jones and and, and Mateo Kovacic. Obviously, Kovacic departed uh, Chelsea for Man City, potentially to replace that that that, that Gundogan kind of role. Um I guess we haven't really seen him do it that much for Chelsea, sort of pop up in the box. I think his, his goal record for Chelsea is pretty atrocious, but you know, there's no reason why he doesn't have the ability to do it. And if he does end up starting regularly for City and, and popping up in that Gundogan role, arriving late into the box to to coin a cliche, then then yeah, he could be a real good value at, at, at 5 million. And then similarly with Curtis Jones, it appears like he's going to be starting the season in as one of Liverpool's three, exactly whether he's... You know the, the 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 single pivot, or if he's more of an eight, I guess remains to be seen. Um, but if he is starting, we know that he does have, I guess, similar to Gallagher, he's got previous in terms of going forward and getting into the box. And and if there is any element of that being part of his game, or him having the license to, if uh, if McAllister maybe can be a bit more disciplined on occasion, then yeah, there is some upside to Curtis Jones at five mil. Yeah, I mean, he played a slightly deeper role for England on the 21s in their Euro success in the summer. And um, Liverpool don't have a great deal of options in that area now with selling um, Henderson and Fabinho in the summer. So it does look like he's going to be in that three. And next to Soberslai and McAllister, he probably would be the the deepest of the three, you'd think. So... um, yeah, obviously not not as attacking as some of these other options here, but Liverpool are a very attacking side, and and Curtis Jones would definitely at points have license to like get forward. So um, at five mil, if he's going to be a starter in a team that could get a fair few goals, then um, another to keep an eye on. And, and Kovacic, I like. I mean, at Chelsea, he there was a stretch where he returned in a few games in a row, didn't he? And I remember him getting on people's radars a little bit when he was there. And I think if he is to more regularly play that Gundo position in the league um that could be that could be quite interesting because he has similar attributes in in that sense in in that he's a slightly deeper eight usually but can arrive in the box late and definitely has a good finish on him when when given a chance so yeah of uh, of these five million pound options andy is uh is alejandro garnacho the best one and uh, i'll allow you to wax lyrical on him a little bit because i know that you're very keen on him as a player if not an fpl asset in terms of like raw talent, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he has the. I mean, he, unfortunately, I don't know. Uh, there's some question marks over his uh, his potentially uh, attitude sometimes, but if he keeps that in check, he has the ability and the, the determination to 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 go all the way. And um, starts is an issue for him. Uh, well, that would be something that would hold me back on 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 having him in my squad. But he 
could well play with uh, without sort of a Hoyland signing happening quite yet for United. He, for me, the the starting eleven for Man United is fairly settled, other than one position, and it's down to Garnacho versus Sancho for uh, Sancho for that final that final spot. So he he could definitely start, and and certainly very likely, I'd have thought to come off the bench if he if he doesn't start and and has been involved in goals when he when he has pl- got minutes on the pitch before. So yeah, an interesting option there. A couple of uh, final four and a half million pound picks then, Andy. That I guess. W- I guess we're maybe expecting them to possibly start the season. How long they start for is is, is kind of debated at the minute. Um, let's start with Marvellous Nakamba. He seems like the safest four and a half million pound pick, but definitely with the least upside. Seems to be Luton's starting sort of central defensive midfielder. Um, has had some Premier League experience before with, with, with Aston Villa, but obviously was was pretty good for them on loan last year. So, so yeah, uh, if you are looking for uh, a start, a guaranteed starter at four and a half million pounds. It seems like Nakamba is perhaps the only way to go. In terms of the other ones, Andy, that we've picked out here, um, Elliot Anderson at Newcastle has had rave reviews in pre-season, including being singled out by by Eddie Howe. And Newcastle have some central midfield injuries at the minute, which means that he could end up getting starts or at least minutes. And, and yeah, he is getting forward quite a bit in pre-season. And then Carney Chukwameka, um, again, he's had some some good England youth appearances before. Um, seems to have been obviously got a big move to, to Chelsea off the back of very few minutes at Aston Villa. And then, I guess, crucially, Christopher Nkunku has picked up a pre-season injury. So there's very a you know, good chance that Chuck Wemeka could be Chelsea's starting number 10 to start the year. I mean, we've spoken about uh, you know, Conor Gallagher being potential value at five and a half million. If, if Chuck Wemeka even starts the season at four and a half and then you can bench him when he's not playing, that feels like a pretty good uh, a pretty good way to start the year. Yeah, I mean, the 4.5 million slot in midfield and are potentially up front are, are always important ones, aren't they? Because they're su- if you find one that is viable, they're such enablers for the rest of your squad. Um, and there was maybe been a couple of more obvious ones in recent years, and it's a little bit harder in both those spots this year. But yeah, N- Nakamba is a marvellous option if you want to... <laughs> If if you if like you said if you want that that's the guaranteed starter. I mean, unfortunately, as we mentioned in our I think our defenders pod with with Bright with Luton, they have Brighton blank Chelsea in their first three game weeks. It's not 100% ideal um, from on that front. But if you want a set and forget 4.5. He's he's probably the way you've got to go right because once Newcastle and Chelsea injuries you know subside. Anderson and Chukwemeka probably aren't looking at being starting players so you would if you want more upside they've both got goal and assist potential when they do play you could have them in early in the season but then you would be having to make a transfer at that 4.5 million midfielder position and though once you get into the season those transfers are valuable right and I can imagine you being frustrated that you're having to use one that or maybe you don't use one there and they, they just like rot on your bench but they're, they're not going to get you any points or if they do it's going to be a bare sort of one point pointer off the bench compared to um, Nakamba kind of with with his starts. Yeah, or you know, I guess if he gets books, then yeah, you know, only one point for him anyway. But but yeah, no, I totally take what take what you mean. Um, hopefully then plenty of food for thought there for our listeners, Andy, ahead of the new season when it comes to midfielders. Let's leave it there. Uh, but if our listeners have any questions, or if again if they've got anyone in the midfielders category that we haven't mentioned, obviously we have, weren't very keen, perhaps on Rashford or or, or maybe even Kevin De Bruyne. And if they do not like that, how can they get in touch? 
they can find us on Twitter slash X and Instagram uh, at FPL Lounge, FPL underscore Lounge. Don't forget the underscore, very important, at FPL underscore Lounge. And um, yeah, uh, like we said in the Defenders one, there's a lot of ways you could go here, right? So we won't have covered everyone that maybe you're even thinking about. And yeah, we'd be interested to hear your logic if you've got anyone that we that we haven't covered. Absolutely. And do also remember to rate, review and subscribe, particularly subscribe at this time of the season. So uh, all of our FPL Lounge long weekend episodes get straight into your podcast feed. Uh, We will be back tomorrow then with our final installment of the FPL Lounge long weekend, where we will be discussing all of those forwards. I have a feeling, Andy, that uh, that Erling Haaland might get a little mention or two, possibly Harry Kane as well. Uh, But Andy, until then. Thanks for joining us in the FPL Lounge.